0: You're listening to the Aim to Win Podcast. I'm Wade Thomas, and I believe that every one of you has a wealth of potential just waiting to come out. And I'm here to help you reach that potential. So now, here's the Aim to Win Podcast. Welcome to the Aim to Win Podcast. I'm Wade Thomas, and today I'm delighted to have Alan Stein on with me. And Alan teaches proven strategies to improve organizational performance, create effective leadership, increase team cohesion and collaboration and develop winning mindsets, rituals, and routines. In his corporate keynote programs and workshops, Alan shares real-world lessons illustrated by powerful stories so that every audience can immediately put new ideas into action. He has a passion for helping organizations create high-performance cultures, his clients include American Express, Pepsi, Under Armour, Starbucks, Charles Schwab, Orange Theory Fitness, and numerous college athletic programs such as Penn State football, UConn men's basketball. An acclaimed basketball performance coach, Allen spent 15 years working with the highest performing athletes on the planet, including NBA superstars, Kevin Durant, Stephen Curry, and Kobe Bryant. He transfers that knowledge to reveal how leaders and teams can utilize the same approaches in business that elite athletes use to perform at a world-class level. The strategies from Allen's book, Raise Your Game, High Performance Secrets from the Best of the Best, are implemented by corporate teams and sports teams around the country. His inspirational words are featured on a 12-foot mural outside of Penn State Football Training Center. So players run past it on a way to practice every day. Welcome to the podcast, Alan.
1: Oh, it's so great to be with you, Wade. I've been looking forward to this since we put it on the schedule.
0: All right. So I get started with the same question every time so that everybody knows who's talking to them. And that is, tell your story, uh, who you are, how you got here, and where you're going.
1: Actually, the most important thing for folks to know is that basketball was my first identifiable passion. And I fell in love with the game at five years old. And here, four decades later, basketball is still a major pillar of my life. And I say that with just immense gratitude that I've been able to make a living and build an extraordinary life around something I'm really passionate about. And uh, I spent the first portion of my life as a very dedicated basketball player uh, and then was able to play at Elon University down in North Carolina. And while I was at Elon, I started to develop an equal love for the performance training side of basketball, Uh, the strength, the conditioning, the fitness, the mindset, the nutrition. So when I graduated from Elon in the late 90s, I figured what could be better than combining my original love of basketball with my newfound love of performance training. And I became a basketball performance coach. And I did that for just over 15 years, uh, really specialized at the, the youth, middle school, and high school age level. Because that's where I felt I could make the biggest impact. You know, it was really important to me that that I could serve as a role model to the players I was working with, above and beyond serving as a coach. And I was able to work at two really renowned high school programs in the Washington D.C. area that have produced over a dozen players currently in the NBA. Um, Kevin Durant being the most notable, and having an opportunity to work with such elite level high school players that got me some additional contracted work with Nike, with Jordan Brand, with USA Basketball, and I got an opportunity to observe um, and and work events for guys like Kobe Bryant and Steph Curry and LeBron James. So I've had a very interesting journey that I've been able to see both sides of the the curtain. Uh, I've been able to see what it takes to to reach that proverbial mountaintop and, and really work towards mastery of your craft, but I've also seen what it takes to stay there and sustain excellence and high fulfillment for long periods of time. Uh, and then five years ago, I made the very intentional pivot to leave the basketball training space and move over to the corporate side strategies that I learned through basketball. I show them how to apply those uh, to business and to their lives. And, and ultimately, uh, I'm a guy that, that lives his life based on principle. And I like taking the principles with the highest utility and showing folks how they can use those in, in different aspects of their life. So I'm having an absolute blast doing what I'm doing and, and very grateful and fortunate to be able to do it.
0: Yeah, excellent. Excellent story. Um, so tell me about your book a little bit. Yeah, you know, what what's um sustaining your game is a little bit different than other similar books. Talk about it that. is.
1: So so I actually so I have two books. So Raise Your Game came out in 2019. And Raise Your Game, I realized that that reaching that proverbial mountaintop is only part of the challenge. You know, the real challenge we face in life is being able to stay there and sustain excellence and sustain high performance. And I'll say, you know, in full transparency, I write the books that mirror what it is that I'm going through in my own life at that time. So in essence, I write the book that I need to read myself. Uh, and I do that because I find it incredibly, um, not only empowering, um, but it, you know, somewhat enlightening and therapeutic to be researching and writing about the very things that I need to work on and that I need to improve. And then, of course, I do that in full service of others. You know, I figure um, if, if I'm writing, a, a, you know, trying to do some research and write on how you can sustain equity. Ec- Excellence and fulfillment. Um, I'm certainly not the only one. There's other people that would hopefully find find value in that. And you know, while I was uncovering this topic of sustaining excellence, and you know, I'm, I'm interviewing and talking with and observing and researching people that have been you know excellent at their craft, not just for years but for decades. I came to the conclusion that there were three things that that most commonly undermine our ability to sustain performance and excellence, and that is stress stagnation and burnout. And that if we can find ways to manage, avoid, or reduce stress stagnation and burnout, it gives us a pretty good shot at, at leading an, an excellent life. And, and those really hit home with me because stress stagnation and burnout are things that I have dealt with and continue to deal with on a very regular basis.
0: So talk a little bit more about that. You know, Stress stagnation and burnout are kind of the three things that get in the way. How does somebody know they're there? It isn't always obvious,
1: is it no and, and and I'm glad you brought that up. i mean awareness in any area of our life is always the foundation. it's always the starting point and it's always the prerequisite you know you'll you'll never fix something you're oblivious to and you'll never improve something that you're unaware of. so being aware of the fact that you are stressed or that you are stagnating or that you're approaching burnout is absolutely vital and and yeah, it's not always as obvious as one would think uh, in fact it's It's usually more obvious when we see it in someone else than it is when we see it in ourselves. And and I've always been a big believer to heighten self-awareness and awareness in general. It's always important that we insulate ourselves with people that care enough to tell us the truth and that can help us see some of these blind spots. So, um, you know, stress is usually one that I think most people are very aware of. Like we know when we feel stressed. um, and that's something that I Think happens, you know, on the daily. Uh, stagnation is a little trickier. Uh, stagnation is one that we often don't recognize ourselves, um, but oftentimes a loved one or a friend or a colleague can recognize it in us and just say, "Hey, you know, I I feel like you've been treading water. I feel like you've been, you know, on the the hedonic treadmill. I don't feel like you've been growing and making progress. I feel like you put on mental cruise control, and you're just stuck. and And that certainly you know, some, some courage to be that honest. So, um, when you have someone that cares enough to tell you that, uh, I highly recommend that you don't defend or deflect or blame or complain or make excuses, but you actually take what they're saying, you know, and, and be very grateful for it. And then, same thing with burnout. Um, burnout can often be confusing because burnout is, in essence, it's a combination of both stress and stagnation. You know, I, I look at stress as a, a too much problem. I look at stagnation as a too little problem. And when you combine those things, they can often lead to burnout. So sometimes you might just think that you're either stressed or stagnating, but you don't realize you're actually burning out on what it is that you're doing. So uh, yeah, awareness is key. And sometimes we have to step outside of ourselves to get that heightened clarity.
0: So, so as, a, as a leader in an organization, and you see your, your people you know, struggling with stress, stagnation, or burnout, what do you do? How do you approach
1: that? Well, the very first thing you do is you you acknowledge it. I mean, it's that old uh, you know the, the the mantra of the elephant in the room. I mean, you you don't pretend that it's not there, you know. And you let your team know, and you let the folks on your in your organization know first and foremost that it's okay to not be okay, you know, especially on the heels of a two plus year global pandemic that is. You know, provided massive dis- disruption to every single area of our life, both personal and professional. You know, the first thing you let your people know is: look, stress, stagnation, and burnout—they're uh, normal. They're common. This stuff is understandable. Um, so let's let's not try to pretend that it's not there, and let's not hide it, and let's absolutely not guilt or shame someone into feeling those things. But instead, let's put it all on the table and let your team know. I'm here for you. I want to support you. I want to empower you. I want to encourage you. You know, I I also believe that as leaders, um, one of the most important characteristics we can embody is the ability to be vulnerable. So, you know, I think as a leader, letting your team know, hey, uh, I know I'm at the top of the org chart. I know I'm the CEO, but I still deal with stress. I still deal with stagnation and even I still deal with burnout. And when you do that, um, you show your team a, a human side of you because many of them, you know, may may look at you with such respect and reverence that they they almost think that you're infallible. And it's important to let them know that these are things that can strike any of us. And that was why I said what I said earlier about, you know, I'm, I'm not coming from a place of mastery on any of this. You know, I'm I love the progress that I've made in my own life over the last few years, and I'm very proud of the path that I'm on. And I do live my life based on certain core values and principles that, that are allowing me to excel and allowing me to lead a wonderful life, but I haven't mastered any of this stuff. And and I still struggle with the very things that I teach, whether from stage or in the book. And, and it's been my experience that when I allow myself to be vulnerable and share that with folks... Um, That doesn't, that doesn't mean they respect me less or, or listen to me less. It actually does the exact opposite. They go, okay, here's a guy that's, that's at least attempting to walk the talk. And to me, that's very important. So I think an overall openness um, and just be a support system. And and once you've done that, then we can actually get into the tactical side and say, okay, we're going to offer different types of programs here at this organization when you are feeling. Stressed, stagnating, or burnt out. Um, here are some things that we can do to actually help you. And and I think any organization that takes that type of approach, they're definitely going in the right direction.
0: Yeah. So so that's interesting. You know, I think vulnerability is such a a powerful thing. It really um, creates the space that people can actually talk about their their stress, stagnation, burnout. Um, but I want to kind of dive into yours a little bit. So. Now, you said that you suffer from these things as well. You know what's driving that, and then how are you using your technique to address that?
1: Let's look at each one of them individually, and, and i'm I'm so glad that you're going in this direction, and I never mind kind of using my own experiences as kind of the case study. You know the what I did find when I was you know un- unpacking these concepts of stress stagnation and burnout is, and, and this isn't to completely compartmentalize them because I, I think the world is much more fluid and our lives are much more kind of esoteric and infinite than, than being able to put things in neat boxes. But it's been my experience for the most part, stress is something that we deal with in the moment on a day-to-day basis. Stagnation is usually something we deal with kind of in that midterm. You know, let's, we'll just say... Uh, Professionally speaking, you know when you've been on a job uh, from anywhere from several months to several years, and you've started to reach a certain level of success, um, that's when stagnation can hit. When you you kind of click on the mental cruise control and you start to rest on your laurels, and you start to get bit by the complacency bug, and say, "Look, you know I'm doing really well right now. I'm just going to let this thing keep riding out," and and that's when stagnation hits. It's kind of that midterm, and then burnout usually occurs. In a little bit more uh, longer term, you know, and and it doesn't have to be decades by any means, but usually a couple of years for the accumulation of stress and stagnation to start to equal burnout. And um, but don't but don't equate that to a chronological age. You know, I'm 46 years old, um, but I first experienced burnout uh, in my very early 20s as a basketball player at Elon University. Uh, I started to get really burned out on the game of basketball. Which was really surprising to me because that had been my driving passion since I was five years old. So that was definitely a new experience. But I bring that up because I don't want someone to think burnout is only something you experience, you know, when you're in your late fifties or sixties or seventies. Uh, burnout can strike at any time. So um, what I'll do is I'll I'll unpack my thoughts on each of those just a little bit, and then you can you can guide this wonderful conversation in any direction you want. So from a from a stress standpoint. Um, the biggest epiphanal moment that I've had, arguably in the last decade, um, was when I heard a gentleman named Eckhart Tolle, who's, for lack of a better term, a modern day philosopher. He said that stress is the desire for things to be different than they are in the present moment. And, and for some reason, when he said that, it just really it hit me between the eyes. It really resonated with me because ultimately, how I interpreted that was stress is now a choice. You know, stress is is not caused by the events in our lives. It's not caused by circumstances. It's not caused by what people say or what people do. It's not caused by the economy. It's not caused by the weather. It's not caused by traffic. It's not, by, it's not caused by who's in office. It's caused by our resistance to those things or our perspective of those things um, or how we internalize those things. So The events in and of themselves do not cause stress. It's how we choose to process them that does. And once I, I you know, came to that conclusion, I mean, that just changed everything for me. Because prior to that, I think like many people, and this is why I have so much empathy and compassion, prior to that, I had always kind of played the victim card. I had always felt you know, that if, if the economy wasn't doing well, and business was down, and that was, that was making it. Best. It's like, no, that wasn't doing it. It was my opinion of that or my perspective of that. Or my resistance to that, which was causing it. So once I, I kind of flipped the script on that, I found that incredibly liberating and empowering because now that means I have the keys to the car and I am in 100% control of my stress level. Now, I don't control these events by any means, but I control my response to them. So now I do the best that I can, and certainly not perfect at it, but I do the best that I can Um To not worry too much about what's going on, but put all of my focus in my response to what's going on. So that's been a huge help. Um, And and let me just say so that that you or your listeners don't think I, I live in some type of fantasy land. I'm by no means saying that the things that go on in the world are to my liking or that they're always aligned with my preferences. I'm not even saying that some of the things that happen in this world are necessarily good. What I'm saying is I don't control those things. I only control my response to those. And my response is what will dictate my stress. So that's, that's my view on stress. And now from a stagnation part, um, I'm a big believer that the outputs we have in life, our attitude, our mindset, our perspective, our mood, you know, what we create, how we serve, all of that is directly um, connected to our inputs what we read, what we watch, what we listen to, who we insulate ourselves with, who we spend time with, um, who we follow on, on social media. So if you want to improve your outputs, then you need to start changing and up-leveling your inputs. So if if you find that you're stagnating and you're just treading water, you're just running in place and, and you're not growing and developing and evolving and improving. Then you need to, to increase your inputs. You need to start reading, watching, and listening to better stuff. You need to insulate yourself and invest time with better people. Uh, and you need to make sure that whatever you're consuming, you know, whether it's something on Netflix or something on Instagram, that you're consuming a higher quality of an input. And when you can do those things, that's a, a great way to help jumpstart and break you out of stagnation. And then lastly, with burnout, uh, burnout is a, is a misalignment between the hours and sacrifices that you put in. And the meaning that you find in the work that you do. So, if you don't find your work purposeful or meaningful, if your work doesn't fascinate you, if your work isn't aligned with your core values, uh, if you don't really enjoy uh, who you work with or where you work or, or many of those things, that's what lead to burnout. So, it's not just from long hours. That, that's certainly a, a factor, but it's when your long hours are not in alignment with the stuff that fills your bucket and lights you up. That's when you're at risk for burnout and most likely need to make some pivots. So I know that was a mouthful and and I'm happy to elaborate or or move to wherever you'd like to move to, Wade.
0: Yeah, I think those great examples and good detail there. You know, the the burnout thing's interesting because so many times we equate burnout with just purely too much work. But it's actually that, like you say, it's that connection with, you know, the meaningfulness of your work. So somebody can work
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: So somebody can work a 25 hour, five hour week and still be burned out and somebody can work a 90 hour, we cannot be burned out. You kind of have to have that connection.
1: Well said.
0: So what's one key takeaway that people should take away from your book?
1: Well, one that, and, and I share this from stage, and I, I share portions of it in both books. Um, I think one of the most important things folks need to do uh, is get crystal clear on their core values. You know, what, what do you believe in? You know what? What do you stand for? What What are the non negotiable principles that that you use to help guide your life? And you have to get really crystal clear on them, because um, you know if your if your your vision is is somewhat foggy, then your results will be somewhat foggy as well. So you can't be ambiguous. You got to figure out, you know, what are the most important core values, and then use those as a guide to decision making. Um, this actually makes decision making easier. Now, this doesn't mean that you won't still have really tough decisions to make, whether they're parenting decisions or whether they're a, a vocational decision, you'll still have hard decisions to make. But now you have a construct and a filter at which to use. And you simply say, is doing this thing in alignment with my core values? And ultimately, that takes you a little bit closer down the path of also saying, you know, is, is this decision, this choice I'm making now, or the, the way I'm behaving right now, is this in alignment with the person that I'm trying to be? Um, you know he here would be a perfect example now this is not happening at the moment you know I'm, I'm currently on vacation in Florida and I'm, I'm with my three kids and um, we're having a wonderful time and let's just say that during this podcast recording my kids are, are causing quite a ruckus out there in the other room and they're acting a fool uh, and the moment we stop recording you know I I storm out of this room, I slam the door and I I give them a good talking to and I, you know, I yell at them. I'm, I can't believe you guys are acting this way when I'm trying to record, you know, daddy needs to work. And and I I kind of blow up at them. You know, well, if I take a pause, is that really the type of person that I want to be? Like if if I was able to 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 make sure that I could always be in uh, alignment with with who it is that I'm trying to become, do I want to be the guy that is screaming at his kids because, you know, they were having some fun while their dad was trying to record a podcast. No, that's not the person that I want to be. So then I don't want to behave that way. And, you know, I want to behave in a manner that is in alignment with the person that I'm trying to become. And I want to do that as consistently as possible. Uh, And I say consistently because um, I don't, I personally threw out perfection years ago. I mean, I, I am far from perfect and make plenty of mistakes. And like everybody listening to this, you know, we're all human and we're all fallible. So I don't ever want anyone to be stifled by perfection, but rather motivated by progress. But nevertheless, I want to ask myself, do I want to be the type of person that gets bent out of shape because my kids were just acting like kids? You know, Do I want to be the type of father that slams the door and screams at his kids when they're not acting exactly the way that I think they should be acting? No, I don't want to be that guy. So with that in the back of my mind, then I try not to behave that way. And If and when I do make a mistake or I do make a decision that's not in alignment with the person I'm trying to become, uh, I quickly own it. Uh, using this very hypothetical example, I would apologize to my children, let them know that you know um, that I, I probably should have handled that a little bit better, and and be vulnerable with them, and let them know that hey, I'm not perfect. Um, I should have handled this slightly differently, and I apologize to you guys for behaving that way, and then move on to the next play and just forget about it. So I think one of the most important things for folks to know is you got to get crystal clear on your values. Crystal clear on who it is that you're trying to become, and then try to align your daily decisions and habits and behavior to that vision as consistently as possible. And if and when you mess up, just quickly own it, apologize if necessary, and move on to the next play.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. Because it ties both to the work life and a personal life.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think you can separate the two. I, I've been a big believer that you know, as human beings, we are very holistic, and and I know that people do talk a lot about work-life balance, and and I know what they mean by that. I mean, the the premise behind that is very sound. The premise behind that is don't spend all of your time and energy uh, and focus into the professional side of work and neglect your family and your friends and self care and the things on the personal side. So that part I get. But I've always kind of struggled with the word balance because uh, when I hear the word balance, it makes me think that there needs to be some equality or some evenness or that you know, if you're going to spend 30 hours on work, then you should also spend 30 hours hanging out with your family and so forth. And that, that construct has never worked really well for me personally. It doesn't mean there's anything wrong with it. It's just not a great fit for me. So what I try to do is have work-life harmony, uh, work-life alignment. Uh, work-life integration, and just make sure that the way that I show up and the way that I behave personally and professionally uh, is is very similar. Which is trying to show up as the best version of myself. You know, obviously the the what's required of me personally and professionally are, are certainly different, um, but I want to be my best self no matter what I'm doing. Whether I'm on stage giving a keynote in front of a thousand people or I'm sitting at the dinner table with my children, my goal is the same: to be fully present to be my best self and, and to hopefully be of service and add value to the people that I'm with. So that part doesn't change. So yeah, from a, from a quote unquote balance standpoint, to me, this is the best way that you do it. You know, get clear on who it is that you're trying to become personally or professionally, re- understand what the core values are to become that person and then behave accordingly.
0: Yeah. Excellent. Well, I have one more question before I let you get out of here. And that is how do people find you? How do they connect with you?
1: Well, my primary website is com, and that has everything um, that I do from a speaking standpoint. And then I created a supplemental website, strongerteam.com, uh, that has info on my podcast, my books. Uh, I have an online course and I do some exclusive one-on-one coaching. So everything else can be found at strongerteam.com. And I'm also very easily found and accessible at Junior on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. I take a tremendous amount of pride in being not only accessible, but responsive. So anyone listening to this, if if you want to ask a question, if you want to share a story, or even if you want to challenge something that I shared, uh, shoot me a DM on Instagram or on LinkedIn, and I'll be very good to get back to you. And then certainly if anyone has an interest in investing uh, in either book, raise your game Or sustain your game. Uh, You can find those at Amazon, on Audible if you like audiobooks, or anywhere that you buy books. They're pretty readily available. And uh, I've really enjoyed this discussion. I love talking about this stuff. So, certainly, if anyone wants to keep the dialogue going, just shoot me a note and be happy to do it.
0: Excellent. We'll link all that up in the show notes. I'd like to thank you for coming on today. This is a great conversation. I think a lot of really good um, pieces for people to work on.
1: Oh, my pleasure, man. This was a lot of fun. Thank you so much, Wade.
0: And thank you for listening to the Aim to Win podcast. As always, follow us, like us, all those good things on wherever it is that you listen to your podcasts.